Good morning, my name is Dave. Welcome to Moran Park. Good to see everybody. If you have a Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And it took Britain three weeks to get through the first 17 verses. I get one week to get through the next part of chapter 1. So, we have a lot of ground to cover this morning. I want to ask you to think about your lives. Evaluate your lives. Think about your life. Like, look over the trajectory of your life. When in your life did things not turn out the way that you expected? When did life go a little bit differently than you had hoped, than you had expected, than you had dreams? Maybe you found yourself in high school or even in college praying for a boyfriend or girlfriend and begging God to make them your husband or wife, but now you're thanking God for unanswered prayers because life turned out a little bit differently. Thanks, hon. I appreciate that. <laughs> maybe, maybe you're in a different career than you had expected. Maybe uh, you had thought you were going to be working in a different field. I, I had a conversation with my wife uh, even yesterday, and she said that uh, one time she went into uh, the high school counselor's office with her parents, and the high school counselor asked her what uh, she wanted to do with her life, and she's like, I don't know, work at the bakery at Family Fair? And life turned out a little bit differently than she had expected. I'm thankful for people who work at the bakery at Family Fair. I mean, that's a tremendous job. I love their donuts. But maybe life turned out differently. I remember um, in seventh grade sitting in a church very similar to this one, about halfway down, and we had benches just like this church. And I remember sitting there and looking up on the pastor up on stage, and I said, I hope to God that I don't do what that guy is doing. I never want to do what he is doing. That looks like a horrible job. And it was reinforced when in middle school I stood up to give a speech in front of a group of 15 uh, students and actually passed out because I was so nervous. True story. All of a sudden uh, I went to college and then I found myself all of a sudden uh, in the accounting field and three quarters of the way through my uh, accounting degree, God all of a sudden upended my life and said, I have some different plans for you as I was at an internship uh, here in town and God wrecked me and said, you need to go in this direction in your life. We have a couple interns at Moran Park, and I wonder if they're going to go into the accounting field instead of the ministry field since they're <laughs> interning here. But life has a way of turning out a little differently than we expect, doesn't it? Maybe some of you right now are finding yourselves stepping into a, an unknown area, an area that you feel God is calling you to go in, and it's different than you expected. You know, even when life turns out unexpectedly, um, also in our lives, God does things differently than we expected. We have these preconceived ideas of how God should act, of how God should move, how God should work, and sometimes he works differently than we expect. Maybe you were faithful to, to share the gospel with somebody, and as you were sharing the gospel with somebody, you're fumbling over your words, and you're like, there's no way God is going to move in the midst of this conversation, and then all of a sudden, a person gives their life to the Lord. And it has nothing to do with what you did, but all what God had to do. Maybe you grew up in a tradition that didn't talk about the Holy Spirit or never mentioned healing and, and said that that was just for a time thousands of years ago. And then all of a sudden you're reading this book and you're finding out that it's a little bit different. And you pray for somebody to be healed. You pray for somebody who's sick. And then all of a sudden it happens right in front of you. And you're like, oh my goodness, I didn't expect that. Maybe you grew up and you went to church. 
but you thought following Jesus or Christianity was all about a bunch of rules and regulations and you walked away from the church for a period of time and then all of a sudden you find yourself here this morning because God turned out to be differently than you expected. He invited you into a relationship with himself. Not only does life turn out differently than we expect, God sometimes moves and acts differently than we expect. And this shouldn't surprise us. Because if we read scripture, we see over and over and over again, this happens. I mean, think about the story that maybe you heard as a kid, Joshua and the Battle of Jericho. The Israelites, they've wandered in the desert for 40 years. They um, just were going around and around and around. And it's about time that they enter into the promised land. And they're getting ready to, to, to go into the land that God had promised them. And God appears to Joshua and says, I'm going to give you this land. And instead of going in and fighting uh, with weapons, here's what I want you to do. For six days, I want you to walk around the city. Just walk around the city. And then on the seventh day, walk around seven times. And when then you hear the trumpet blow, all of a sudden just shout and scream and the walls will come down. I mean, we think about that and we're like, oh yeah, that's how God works because we're used to hearing that story. But imagine if you were there, that would have been unexpected. The way that you win the battle is not through your weapons, but through worship. God works in unexpected ways. And over the last couple weeks as we've been diving into the book of 1 Corinthians, I have seen that God has worked in unexpected ways. The Corinthian church was full of issues, full of problems, horrible problems. And we're going to discuss those in the upcoming weeks. But Paul doesn't start off just by correcting their problems. Instead, he introduces them to the person of Jesus Christ. Over the last couple weeks, Britain has talked about God calling them, the, the people in Corinth, saints, not because of their activity, but because of what Jesus did for them. He says, God is going to sustain you. God's going to continue to work in your life and be faithful to the things that God has called you to do. This totally shocks me, this time reading through 1 Corinthians, that Paul is starting that way. If it was me, I would have started this letter and just started addressing this problem, these problems, one right after another. You stop this, you stop that, quit doing this, quit, get, you know, quit all of this activity, but instead of pointing out the problems Paul says, let me point you to Jesus Christ. And I wonder what would happen if we did that in our lives. When I come across a problem, when I come across an issue, I'm like, let me talk about this issue in your life. Boom, 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 boom. What would happen if instead of doing that, we just pointed people to the amazing love and amazing grace of Jesus Christ and pointed them to him? Paul, in verse 17, he reminds them of how he came. And how he came to those in Corinth was different than they had expected. Look at verse 17. Paul says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. This was different. Paul said, I came not with eloquent words of wisdom. This was different in the city of Corinth, a culture that that loved eloquent words, that loved wisdom. It was quite an interesting city. It was situated in this port, very similar to Holland, right on on a port. And and it had a bunch of uh, sailors that would hang out in the city for an extended period of time as their ships were being carried across this little piece of land. They would would hang out in the city and they would uh, engage in some wild living. This was a city that, because because it was a port city, had a lot of new industry, new money, new wealth, new, new commerce. It was a city that loved new ideas. There were young, educated people. And every spring they would have a festival where people, debaters, would come from all over the world, stand on the corners and debate. And if you liked what they heard, people would cheer. And if you didn't like what you heard, you would boo. This was a place that loved words, that loved eloquent wisdom. And Paul says, I did not come the way that you would expect. 
I didn't come with wise words because I didn't want you to be wowed with my words. I wanted you to be wowed with my message. So Paul says, I didn't come with eloquent words. Instead, I came preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is what he said the message of the cross was all about. Verse 18. He says, for the word or the message of of the cross, the message that I preach is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discerning of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preached to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Paul says, when I came, I preached Christ crucified. See, for Paul, the cross was absolutely everything. For Paul, the cross was the crux of Christianity, the very heart of his faith. This morning, when you look at this cross, as this cross has been front and center all morning, what thoughts have come into your mind? What have you thought of as you've looked at this cross? What kind of feelings does this cross, does this uh, image evoke in you? For many of us, we've sterilized the cross. The cross is, 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 a, is an image of peace, of tranquility. It's become familiar. We don't look at the cross and we don't see blood dripping down from the cross. We don't see this as, as a place of, of torture, a place of shame. We don't see evil when we look at the cross. We sing, oh, the wonderful cross, and we absolutely should. But in the first century, people had very different emotions when they looked at the cross. The cross was the worst way to die. It was an instrument of torture reserved for the worst criminals. People who died on this cross weren't heroes they weren't god they were foolish and so the cross when it came to the jewish people was foolishness because they had expected god to come and restore the throne of david they expected god to come and restore their nation they expected signs and miracles they expected power and even when jesus demonstrated miraculous sign after another they said hey show me more signs wow me more with your power And so the message of the cross was foolishness to them because their God wasn't going to come and be killed on a cross. So the cross for the Jewish people was a stumbling block because God didn't fit the box that they themselves had created. And so they tripped over the cross. They stumbled over the cross and called it foolish. Even the Greeks that heard the message that Paul preached, when they heard the message of the cross, they're like, that's absolutely foolish. There's no way that God would come like that. It didn't fit their, their preconceived ideas of what God should do and how God should act. They thought that God was going to have these powers like their mythological gods, that, that God would have a logical argument, but their image of the cross didn't fit into that. And so the cross to them was absolutely foolish. And today, for some, the cross is absolutely foolishness because they look at it and it doesn't fit their preconceived ideas of how God should act. I mean, think about the message of the cross. It's absolutely crazy. For those of us who believe, I mean, for, for when we hear this message, it's absolutely crazy. Imagine if I knocked on your door and I said, hey, let me tell you about God. Let, let me tell you about God. And you said, all right, come on and tell me about God. And I said, God was born uh, from a 16-year-old virgin down in Hamilton. 
She was born when, when, he went camp, when she went camping. Didn't even make it to Holland Hospital. Didn't even get there because there was no room at Holland Hospital. And actually gave birth in a barn down in Hamilton. And this baby grew up. Grew up here in West Michigan. Did go to college. Never published a book. Never went to a big city. But instead just lived a pretty simple life. Worked at Herman Miller making furniture. And he was good at it. And then at age 30, something happened. He went to a wedding and, and everything changed. He, he, he transformed water into wine. And then one day he went out to the, to the lake, to the lighthouse, and walked around the pier on water. And then he went to a Hope Calvin game, and, and, and people were hungry there. And so he uh, fed everybody at the game by uh, a hamburger and fries from Russ's. You'd be like, this doesn't make sense. This is absolutely crazy. And then I would go on and tell you that, that he said some things that really honked off the religious people in this city. And he, he said that you can have a relationship with God, that God is actually for them, not against them. But then, but then they killed him, took him to Indiana and, and killed him. But three days later, three days later, he rose from the dead. I want you to believe in this God. You'd be like, that's absolutely crazy. That's absolutely nuts. That's, that's not how God would work, but that is exactly what we believe. That is exactly what I believe. But we think that's not how God would work because it's unexpected. That God would come from a place, a, a place of nowhere and come to a bunch of nobodies? Absolutely right. It's not how God would work, but that's exactly how God would work. God comes in unexpected ways. He comes to unexpected people and he does unexpected things. And for Paul, the message of the cross as he preached Christ crucified, that was everything to him because this is where God revealed himself. He didn't reveal himself in books. He didn't reveal himself in massive displays of power. He revealed himself on the cross because this is where God died for our sins. This is where mercy came crashing down into our lives. This is where God kicked Satan's butt and took out demons and sin and death and triumphed over them on the cross. For those who believe, this is a glorious image, a wonderful, the most wonderful event in human history. And Paul says, let me remind you, let me remind you of the unexpected ways that God works, the unexpected ways of his kingdom, that his kingdom is not like the kingdoms of this world. His wisdom is not like the wisdom of this world. His power is not like the power of this world. See, the the cross, what it looked like in a natural way was, was weakness, But it wasn't weakness in the supernatural. It was a source of salvation. It was strength for all those who believe, first to the Jew and then to the Greek. See, in the natural, the cross looked idiotic. What God submits to human beings, what God lays down his life for others. But in the supernatural, this was the wisdom of God to save many, many people. And Paul begins his letter to this troubled church. And he says, let's not get to the problems right away. Let me point you to the person of the cross. Let me remind you of the message that I preached. Because this is everything. And this was absolutely crazy in Corinth. In a place where where people strive to earn the acceptance of God. Their God. Paul comes in with a message and says, no, God came to you. And he died the death that you deserve. I think there's somebody here today that absolutely needs to hear this. That absolutely needs to come crashing face to face with the cross. You're thinking of all the things that you've done. You're thinking of all the ways that you've messed up, maybe even last night or the night before, and your soul is flooded with guilt and shame. And you're like, oh, God would never love me. And I want to say that is an absolute lie. And I know it's an absolute lie because of the cross that's up on the stage this morning. God loves you. 
God is passionate about you, so passionate that he would send his son to give his very life for you. This is the unexpected, crazy message of the cross. And Paul says, this is where you need to draw your attention. This is what you need, this is where you need to find your life. Because God works in unexpected ways. And he goes on, he says, you want a further proof that God works in unexpected ways? Look in the mirror. He goes on, look at verse 26. He kind of rips on them without, even know, without them even knowing. He says, for consider your calling, brothers and sisters, Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. Paul's saying, hey, remember who you were. Remember that you weren't wise. Many of you weren't wise. There were some perhaps that were wise, but not many of you were There were some that maybe had a little bit of money, but not many of you had a ton of money. There might have been some of noble birth, but not many. He says, remember who you were. Remember who you were. And then he says, but God chose you, what is loathed and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. Why? So that no no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, that the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. He says, remember who you were. Remember who you were. Remember the lowly position that you found yourself in. But God came to you. God came to you with the message of salvation in Christ Jesus. God came to you and he sent Paul to do that, to preach the the message of the cross. And in Acts 18, we see how Paul actually came to those in Corinth. He went to Corinth after running for his life, and he hung out in Corinth for 18 months. And day after day, he would preach in the synagogue, he'd preach in the Jewish place of worship. But he got so frustrated because they wouldn't listen to the message. And Paul goes right next door to the house of Crispus, who is the ruler of the synagogue, shares the gospel, and instantly people believe and give their life to the Lord. And I think Paul is saying, hey, remember how I came to you. I didn't even come to you first. I came to you out of frustration, and that's how much God loves you, that, that he showed himself even to you who was just next door to the synagogue. Remember who you were, but remember that God pursued you and chased after you and rescued you with his love and his grace. And here's the crazy thing. Throughout history, God rescues the most unlikely people, and God uses the most unlikely people. I mean, think through Moses. Moses was one who was a murderer, ran for for his life, was wandering in the desert for 40 years, and God calls to him and says, I want to use you to rescue my people from Egypt. Think of the apostles, people who had been given up on, people who, who everybody had rejected. And Jesus came and he walked towards them and he says, hey, you follow me. And he used these ordinary guys, these guys who were unschooled, to go throughout the whole world sharing the message of Jesus. Think about Paul, the writer of this book, a murderer, one who was anti-Jesus for many, many years. All of a sudden, God gets a hold of his heart. He's transformed, and God uses Paul, an unlikely person. And why does God do this? He does this so that no one can boast in their own ability, that no one can boast in their own strength, so that no one can point to their own accomplishments. They can only point to one person, and that's Jesus Christ. And so Paul says, if you're going to boast... If you're going to brag about anything, make sure you brag about the one thing. Make sure you brag about Jesus. See, the problem in Corinth, and we're going to get to those problems, like I said, the problem in Corinth, the root of all the other issues, 
was they had forgotten who they were and they forgotten who they had become because of Jesus. They had forgotten that it was only by grace that they had been saved through faith and that it was none of their own doing. It was only the work of God. They had forgotten that it was Jesus that made them holy, that Jesus, it was Jesus that made them pure. They had forgotten that it was Jesus who had given them wisdom. And so they started wanting the attention for themselves. They had become arrogant and self-dependent and prideful. And Paul says, you need to knock it off. You need to remember who saved you. You, remember, you need to remember the person who gave you life. And so he says, if you want to boast about anything, boast in the Lord. Brag about him. Brag about the unexpected ways of God. Brag about the unexpected mercy and love and grace of Jesus Christ. Boast and brag about the way that he called you and entered into a relationship with you. Flip over to Jeremiah 9, because Paul is quoting from Jeremiah when he's talking about this. And Jeremiah says this about boasting. In verse 23, he says, Let not the wise men boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. If you're going to boast about anything, if you're going to pr- find delight or joy in anything, do this. Boast in that you understand and know the Lord, that you understand and know his love. This is the only thing that should divide us as followers of Jesus today that we have had this encounter with Jesus that has wrecked us forever, that we can talk to somebody and say, guess what, I know the God of the universe and I know how he thinks about me, that he is absolutely thrilled with me because of what he did through his son Jesus. This is the only source of pride that we should have. This is the only thing that should be on our lips, even in good times and bad times. We should all use this as an opportunity to boast and brag about Jesus. And that's exactly what Paul did. I love in Galatians 6, Paul, who had many accomplishments, he said, the only thing that I want to brag about, the only thing that I want to talk about, the only thing that I want to boast in is in the cross of Jesus Christ. He became so singular focused. He says, that's all. The cross is everything to me. And that's the only thing that I'm going to talk about. And he goes, if I'm going to talk about anything, I'm going to talk about my weakness so that in my weakness, I can point people to Jesus. Paul was fascinated by one thing, and it was the cross of Christ. This morning, are you fascinated by the one thing of the cross of Christ? Are you boasting? Are you using your life, every aspect of your life, to point people to Jesus? See, in life, the only people who do great things, the only people that go on to, like, do incredible things in our lives are those people who are so focused on one thing. In a life filled with distractions and in a time when they can be multitasking all over the place, they're obsessed about one thing. I think of athletes. They get really good because they're obsessed about one thing. As followers of Jesus, we need to be obsessed about one thing. We need to be obsessed about the cross and look for every opportunity to share the love and grace of Jesus Christ with people. I think we can become so distracted and I believe the Lord is calling us back, Moran Park, to focus on the cross, to be people of the cross, to be people who have this right square, right in front of us on a daily basis. See, the cross of Christ The cross this morning has been getting in the way. And you might even be wondering, why is this cross up here? Why is it getting in the way? Couldn't you move it over to the side? Because I can't read the words up on the screen. Why is it right in the middle? For you, the cross has been getting in the way. And I'll say this, for many years, the cross has been getting in the way for people. For the Jews, the cross got in the way. 
They were looking for God to come in a different way. But he came hanging on a cross. And they rejected him because the cross looked foolish to them. For the Greeks, the cross got in the way. It didn't make sense in their own minds. It didn't, they couldn't comprehend that God would do this. That God would empty himself and come to them and die the death that they deserved. And so the cross got in the way. And for some of you today, the cross has gotten in the way. And you look at this and you say, that's the stupidest thing I've ever seen. And Paul says this at the very beginning. He says, for those who are perishing, it's foolishness. There are people in your life that look at the cross and they say it's absolutely stupid. Moran Park, if anything, this should call us to pray for them. To pray that God would open their eyes. And my prayer for you, if you look at this and say this is idiotic, my prayer for you is that God would open up your eyes and that you would see the love and grace that he has for you. See, the cross always gets in the way. But for those of us who believe, the cross gets in the way. Because it's the power of God for salvation. And when God looks at us, when God looks at our past, for those of us who believe, the cross even gets in the way for God. And he says, oh, I've already paid for their sins. See, the cross gets in the way in every aspect of life. When you're thinking about the purpose of your life, the cross gets in the way because you're like, I want to live my life to declare the glory of God. The cross gets in the way when, we are, when things are going well because it's a reminder that every good and perfect gift that we have in our life comes from God. And the cross gets in the way when there's pain in life. When tragedy rocks your existence. The cross gets in the way because it reminds us that we live in a fallen and imperfect world. We live in a world that wasn't, it wasn't intended to be this way. That there's death, that there's destruction, that there's pain, that there's hurt. But the cross is a reminder that there's hope and healing in Jesus' name. And de- death doesn't get the final say. And so Moran Park, as we sit here today, may we always be people of the cross. May we always be people who are reminded of the unexpected ways and the unexpected love that God has shown to us. And may we be filled with that on a regular basis in such a way that we can't help but boast and brag about our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, you sent Paul with one message. He said, I preach Christ crucified. And Jesus says, we come this morning. We come just in awe of that message. Jesus, that you would come for us, that you would die for us. We recognize that it should have been us up on the cross. We should have been paying the punishment for our sins. But Jesus, you shoved us out of the way. And you said, I'll do it. And as your people, we are so grateful. We are so thankful. We are so amazed by a love that is so divine, so amazing. Demands our very life, our soul, our everything. Holy Spirit, I ask right now in this space that you would speak to people, that you would open up eyes, that they would see you, Jesus, in a real and powerful way, that they would come crashing face-to-face with you and with your love, 
and that they would understand and know that you are that they are the object of your affection that you are absolutely in love with them god thank you that we don't have to strive thank you that we don't have to to earn your affection or your approval but it was done on the cross for us we just worship you we thank you for that jesus let me pray this all in your name. Amen.